The readings for the day come from Luke 15, 11 through 32. Jesus said, A certain man has two sons. The younger son said to his father, Father, give me my share of the inheritance. Then the father divided his estate between them. Soon afterward, the younger son gathered everything together and took a trip to a land far away. There, he wasted his wealth through extravagant living. When he had used up his resources, a severe food shortage arose in that country, and he began to be in need. He hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country, who sent him into the fields to feed pigs. He longed to eat his fill from what the pigs ate, but no one gave him anything. When he came to his senses, he said, How many of my father's hired hands have more than enough food, but I'm starving to death? I will get up and go to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I no longer, did, I no longer deserve to be called your son. Take me on as one of your hired hands. So he got up and went to his father. While he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was moved with compassion. His father ran to him, hugged him, and kissed him. Then his, son, then his son said, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I no longer deserve to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Quickly, bring out the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Fetch the fattened calf and slaughter it. We must celebrate with feasting because this son of mine was dead and has come back to life. He was lost and is found. And they began to celebrate. Now his older son was in the field. Coming in from the field, he approached the house and heard music and dancing. He called one of the servants and asked what was going on. The servant replied, your brother has arrived, and your father has slaughtered the fattened calf because he received his son back safe and sound. Then the older son was furious and didn't want to enter in, but his father came out and begged him. He answered his father, Look, I've served you all these years, and I never disobeyed your instruction, yet you've never given me as much as a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours returned, after gobbling up your estate on prostitutes, you slaughtered the fattened calf for him? Then his father said, Son, you are always with me, and everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and be glad, because this brother of yours was dead and is alive. He was lost and is found. Good morning, everyone. My name is Jonah. My pronouns are they, them, theirs, and I'm one of your pastors here at Zao. We have just begun last week this new sermon series I'm really excited about called Upside Down, where we're talking about what exactly we mean when, when we talk and read and reflect about the kingdom that Jesus is always talking about. He spent most of his teaching ministry trying to explain this to us, and because 
we still can't really understand it based on our limited experience of what I would consider the upside down, this anti-kingdom, this different way um, in the world. Jesus told us a lot of stories, stories that we have begun to call parables because of the type of story they are, but they're still stories that are meant to inspire us and stoke our imagination, give us a glimpse into this thing that is so far beyond our imagination that we have to dream about it, that we have to inspire one another about it, that we have to uh, tell stories to even imagine it. And so we want to spend some time in those stories, learning from God about this kingdom that we are all on the way towards, that we are journeying towards, that following Jesus leads us into. And it's not a far-off kingdom that we are whisked away into like a princess with a slipper. We are bringing that kingdom here to earth. God is bringing that kingdom here to earth through us. And because we are stuck in the upside-down version of it, because we only know things in shadows and glimmers and glimpses of stories, we need to rely on one another to tell and remember where we are going. Now, the story that we have today is actually one of a couple of stories about lost things. The scripture we read is about a lost son, and that's the most complex of the lost things parables. But there are a couple more, and you may have heard of them. One is the lost sheep. The kingdom is like when a shepherd caring for a flock of 100 sees that there are 99 with him and one is missing and the shepherd leaves the 99 to go after the one. And when the shepherd finds the one throwing that sheep over his shoulders, he celebrates and throws a massive party about it. Similarly, the kingdom is like a woman who has lost a coin in her home she has nine others, but she has that one that is missing. And so she searches her home top to bottom. She finds it. And when she does, she invites all of her friends over to party and celebrate. There have been uh, some folks on the internet uh, recently using these lost things parables to help illustrate the power of a movement like the movement for black lives and the uh, power of a phrase like black lives matter. The all lives matter crew, those who are still trying to defend that phrase say, well, certainly all lives matter, all sheep matter, all coins matter. And we say yes. And as Christians, we were taught that the ones who are secure, the ones who are safe, can be left to their own devices for a while while we put all of our energy into going after the vulnerable, into helping, into searching and finding. That's that reckless love that we sing about. When we say the reckless love of God, we're talking about that love that walks away from what is secure to say no one will be truly secure until we find that sheep, until we find that coin, the one who is hurting, who is lost, who has been abandoned. We will not turn away from the lost. And so with the Black Lives Matter movement, we are called as Christians to say, other lives that you're talking about with all lives, specifically white lives, doing okay. We need all of our attention, all hands on deck. Everybody drop what you're doing. 
because black lives are under attack and we cannot go on business as usual. We cannot be content with that. That is immoral and wrong. We will drop everything like our savior until the vulnerable, the abandoned, the marginalized is scooped up and held and protected. And when that happens, we will throw the biggest rager because all of us are broken, all of us are incomplete while that one is hurting. There are no moral judgments in the stories of the coin and the sheep. There is sort of a, a simplicity that insists that more so than any analysis of how this happened, it matters that we fix it which doesn't mean that it doesn't matter how it happened or that the 99 aren't at fault for the one who is lost. But it means that the priority is remedy. And the end, the fruition, the completion is celebration and joy. There is an emphasis on the experience of loss and how that does mean that we drop everything that does mean we walk away from what is already secure. But there is also an emphasis on that reunion, on the care taken in that reunion, to, to scoop that sheep up, to, to throw the sheep on the shoulders, hold it close, secure it, protect the sheep, and then throw a party about it, celebration. This celebration at reunion is probably to me, the hallmark of these lost things parables. That God is anticipating that joyful reunion when all are made whole again. When no one is vulnerable or unsafe out on their own, but all are together in the vulnerability of intimacy and connection, protecting one another in right relationship and in the relationship of family. Now, with the story of the brothers, there are some extra elements because our characters are all human here. We see what's going on inside of them. There are elements of guilt and shame. There is a dynamic of forgiveness. There is also a dynamic of resentment. When the younger son leaves the home, we don't really know why. We're told that he wants to take his inheritance and go off and that he wastes it. And that that doesn't go well for him. That he ends up in abject poverty, looking with envy at the pigs as they eat from their troughs and comes crawling back to his father, knowing in his own understanding of knowing that he has blown it that he doesn't deserve to be here, that he will beg for his father to hire him, not bring him home as a beloved son, but hire him, that he can earn his way back into the fold. He doesn't come asking for his father's forgiveness, but you can feel in the story that he wants it. He just doesn't think he deserves it. But the father does not offer forgiveness the father goes straight to jubilant celebration. 
the father isn't really concerned with the son's uh, worthiness, so to speak, because that's not something in the father's estimation that the son could ever affect. You are worthy because you're my son. It's not about what you've done or didn't do. You're home. You're home. You're home. And that joy at reunion is all the father can feel. This blinding celebration is all that matters. You've arrived home. But the young son is going through a much more complex journey. He feels so worthless. He didn't expect to be welcomed in any type of way. He only came back because he desperately needed it. He feels shame. He doesn't remember his worth or where he's from. And we see this broken young man not coming back to be embraced, but coming back because he has no other choice. Confessing not because he wants to repair relationship, but because he thinks that's the last thing he has is to just admit that he's awful. On the older brother's side, we also have a complicated trajectory of feelings. Here we have a faithful son who has remained steady in the family. He has been laboring. He has never wavered, according to the story. He has been laboring for years in the fields with his father and the employees of the house. He didn't go off and squander anything. He didn't trade his inheritance for pleasure. He didn't leave the loving embrace of his father. And so when his younger brother comes back, we see this awful resentment. Why are you celebrating him? I am the one who's been here working. And here he goes off and does something awful. And you bring him back. And, and you celebrate him in this lavish way that, like, I, you've never thrown me this party. You've never let me just, like, be this lavish with my friends. And the father says, son, you were here with me. Your brother was gone. Your brother was dead. He's alive again. He's with us. He's home. We celebrate you see, God is not concerned with who is deserving. And in this story, I'd like you to experience the father as God for a moment. Not the only way to interpret the parable. There's no one way to interpret a parable. But for today, I just want you to hear the love of God, the eternal parent, in this father's insistence that coming home is what matters. That the celebration is one being brought back into life. You see, these stories, all of these parables are concerned with the way of life, the way of eternal life, and not as some sort of projected uh, threat that if you leave the fold, you will be punished, but actually to the contrary, to say, you can leave the fold, but that is the way of death. And when you discover that, just know that when you come back, Life is still here waiting for you. If you stay within the fold of life, also know that you actually are better off. These are not punishments. These are realities 
that the younger son's wastefulness is what brought him into a place of death. That's not a punishment. He just ran out of money. He cut his family off. He left the place that was giving him life. The older son has life and has been connected to life. It may not always appear that way because the ways of the world are confusing. We live in the upside down, remember? And so we are told that to really experience life, you can't do that at home with your family, laboring. Real life, you've got to sow your oats. You have to have an adventure. You have to experience um, pleasure in these kinds of uh, very earthly ways. You have to accumulate and accumulate. You have to um, imbibe and take in that these are the ways that you'll really be alive. That is what we are taught. But time and again, people discover that that is actually not giving them life. That indulgence is not bringing them joy. That actually a lot of those things that we are told will make us feel better, whether it be drink or sex or spending money or any of the things that our our culture just so embraces as the way to soothe our pain, we find that when we do those things over and over again, rather than opening us up to joy and life and connection and family and friends, we find ourselves more isolated, more alone, more numb, and more cut off. This is what happened to the younger son. And his father sees that and grieves, not at the son's poor choices about selling his inheritance and his connection to love for something that was so cheap and worthless by comparison. The father grieves because the son is dying inside. The son can't feel the love of his family anymore and the abundance of the day-to-day riches of laughter and joy and connection. He was dying, but he has come back home, and he is open, and he is willing, and he is ready. And so the father says, let us throw everything we have into this. Welcome back to life. Come home. You've come home. The future waiting for the young son is labor. Laboring in the fields and cracking jokes with his brother and having simple meals at home with the family. And so the older brother who has been doing this the whole time may experience some hurt and confusion. The younger brother got to go pursue the ways of the world. And so that may seem like the younger brother has an advantage, but the older brother has remained consistently connected to those things that are life-giving, joy-giving, even when they are coming from back-breaking labor, responsibility, commitment. Those are the things that have been giving him life, and those are the things that we are celebrating the younger brother back into. God will always celebrate the return to life Will we? We have all been both brothers at some point in our lives. 
We have all veered, we have all stumbled on the, on the way, on the path that Jesus has for us, whether or not we've called it Jesus's path when we are pursuing it. But when we pursue love, when we pursue joy and holiness and justice and righteousness, when we fight for the world that we believe will be good, when we offer our love to one another with vulnerability and openness, we are on the way towards the kingdom, towards the family, There are so many family metaphors here in Jesus' stories and teachings. In the history of, of the Hebrew people, we come from a lineage that is really obsessed with its lineage that says our family is where we find identity and our family is God. We find life and connection when we are feeling close to our God who is our parent, to our brothers, sisters, and siblings in Christ when we have that familial closeness, that is what we are working towards, where all connection, all creation can be united as a family of God. And whenever we are pursuing that, we are on the way. We are going towards the kingdom. Our imaginations are open and the labor is real. It is hard work to be in the streets fighting for justice. It is hard work opening oneself to the vulnerability of love. It is hard work to be real and alive but it is the only thing worth doing in this creation. And when we do it, we stumble. We stumble, we veer, we may just trip up a little bit, or we may turn all the way around and run in the opposite direction. But we all do it from time to time. We've all been the younger brother. What are the ways that you have stumbled or veered or turned around on the path towards love and life. When you do that, you've traded your inheritance for the lies of the world. Perhaps your inheritance appears to be stolen from you because the lies of the world are so overwhelming. And in those moments, we forget our worth. This comes in many forms. For me, one of the clearest prodigal stories in my own life as the younger sibling is my experience of addiction, my abuse of drugs as an adolescent, On the surface, it looked like I was doing a lot of partying, but my parties sucked. They weren't celebrations of joy and life and connection. They didn't make me feel alive. They made me feel distracted or numb inside or muted or extra loud, whatever it was to stop the heartbreak for a moment, except it didn't stop it. It just masked it. And the heartbreak was that gap inside of me about my own worth because I felt like garbage all the time. It took so much energy to ignore that feeling that I was worthless. And so the ways of the world were just like a really insufficient band-aid for me. But every time I used one of those band-aids, it felt more and more, like that hole was caving in inside of me, my worthlessness came to just define who I was. When I finally 
by luck, by the grace of God, and by the invitation of so many kind and loving, faithful people, stumbled back home, starving and broken. God welcomed me and told me what I was worth. God didn't transform me in that moment. God didn't heal that hole in my chest and say, oh, you were worthless and now you have worth. God looked at me and said, my child, oh, you are of infinite worth. Let's throw a party about it. Come home. I didn't move from worthless to having worth. I moved from shame to remembering my worth. One of the songs we'll sing today talks about that. From shame to worth, from broken to beautiful. These are not transformations of our actual essence. It's a remembering. I don't go from being broken to being beautiful. I go from feeling broken to realizing the beauty that I have because it was given to me by God in the midst of all those same things that feel broken about me. Some of us have these more dramatic younger son veering or turning away stories about addiction and loss, about infidelity or abandonment. But we stumble and veer in subtle ways all the time. Perhaps those moments when we forget our worth or when we stay late at work because in the back of our minds, we're, we're really convinced that our worth comes down to our productivity. Or when we look in the mirror and feel that hole in our chest because we're worried that our worth is in our appearance and we don't measure up. Anytime we place too much value on our social status or on the approval of others or a relationship that made you forget who you are, when we forget our worth, we are buying into the lies of the world and we are forgetting the inheritance that is handed over to us at all moments, at all times. That inheritance, which is connection and joy and worth, it doesn't go away. We actually can't squander that. We actually can't spend that away. We just forget it's there. We forget that it's ours. When we have the ability to confess that we've messed up, that we have forgotten our worth, that we have done things to feed that hole rather than remember who we are, too often our confession is driven by shame. We say, God, I did this because I suck. God, I did this thing again because I'm just so garbage. God, I can't get this right. What is wrong with me? But again, those are the lies of the world coming in to shame us, to harm us, to keep that hole burning inside of us and forget the love of God which fills it and reminds us who we are. The kind of confession that God longs for, the kind of confession that leads to that embrace and celebration 
the kind of confession that is true and holy is when we come to God and we say, I did this thing. And I don't think that's who I really am. I did this thing and my behavior is not worthy of the person you have made me to be. But I am worthy of better behavior. God, I confess, I am your child and I have not been acting like it. I want to make it right. I want to start acting more in line with who I am. I want to act like the child of yours I know I am because I am worth better than I have been acting. This is the kind of confession that God longs for in us. A remembering of who we are. A re-embrace of our inheritance. A coming home with repentance. A turning away from our harmful behavior and towards the labors of love and justice and righteousness. And that's worth throwing a party over. Again, the father is not concerned with punishment. The father is not concerned with retribution. He sees in his young son a true repentance, a true turning back to the ways things ought to be and wants to throw a party about it. We have all been the younger brother stumbling back home. But I pray that we have also all been the younger brother embraced by the loving father, feeling the love of the father who says, you are worthy, we're throwing a party, there's not even a question, not even offering forgiveness because whatever, grab the fattest calf. I hope that in our confession, our shame doesn't rob us of that experience of feeling so embraced, so held, so celebrated by the God who loves us, by the family who loves us, who has missed us, who has been worried for us, and is so thrilled we are home. Mostly thrilled. And here we have the older brother. The older brother is the one who got all the things right while his little brother messed up. And I got to say, we've all been here too. Because for every time that we've done something right, anything right, on the way, on the journey towards truth and love and justice and the kingdom, there has been someone beside us, a sister, a sibling, a brother beside us, stumbling, veering, or turning around and running the other way. While we have remembered our worth and connection, while we have remembered what it means to labor for love, while we have pursued vulnerability and openness and connection and joy, are we truly appreciating what we have? And that as hard as our work is, we are the better for it. That our sibling or our brother or our sister who has stumbled or fallen behind or stubbornly sat down in the middle of the road on the way might be appearing to rest, might seem to have the advantage of not laboring with us, that we actually are on the closer journey towards love and that the only reason they are stumbling or sitting or running away is because they are in pain and they have forgotten who they are. 
Are we appreciating the fruits of our labor, connection to others and to God? Or are we trying to hoard it out of scarcity? We project then our shame onto those who are stumbling. We remember the times we've stumbled and how bad it felt. We don't want to feel that way again. And so we puff ourselves up and we say, shame on you. I'm doing it right this time. Thinking wrongly that compassion and celebration of the return of others diminishes our joy. Or perhaps the older brother was not prepared to celebrate because he was feeling hurt. Was the older brother feeling wounded by the loss of his sibling? Does he need to grieve the fact that his brother who he loved, who he was on the way with, who he labored in the fields with, suddenly left? And the older brother felt that pain too. Because we know from the stories of the lost that the 99 sheep are actually not okay because of the one who is missing. That there is a wound inside all of us when any one of us is hurting and unwell. And sometimes, instead of finding the compassion for that, to say, my wound is actually connected to yours, we lash out in anger and hurt. We blame the folks who are missing or lost for their lostness. Does the older brother need to grieve? There are, of course, also times when those who are stumbling do so in ways that directly harm us. And there is no way for us to continue on the way of vulnerability and love without addressing and repairing that harm. We have a very hard time welcoming back those who have stumbled or veered in ways that have harmed us. And we have many prodigal stories of addiction or infidelity or perhaps people who have been deeply queerphobic or people who have perpetrated violence and abuse who, when they try to come back home, are met with family who is just not ready. There are circumstances in which the young, younger brother is not truly home. The younger brother wants to come by and stock up and continue to squander that inheritance in ways that harm the family. In those times, we need to be able to call that out. True celebration and coming home cannot happen until harm has been remedied. But what happens when the younger brother really is coming home? The older brother needs to deal with the hurt. The younger brother needs to confess to the older brother. Needs to say, the ways that I hurt you were wrong. And the older brother, the ones who have been faithful, need to grieve, need to find ways to express their own hurt. 
But the goal, the ultimate goal through that expression is the kind of reconciliation worth throwing a party over. And a party thrown in the honor of another is a party we all get to attend. This is the thing that we are working towards. The moment when we actually do trust one another again and can celebrate. And we have to be willing to celebrate the little victories along the way to welcome ourselves back to the party, to receive the welcome of others, but also to welcome the others home. Not only to offer a hand to the one who has stubbornly sat down on the way, but to high five them as they try again to, to go in the right direction. This is difficult work because we know that our trust will be betrayed again and again and again. Welcome to humanity. But this is what Jesus calls us to do, to have the kind of openness that says, when you come home, I believe you, and let's do this, and let's celebrate. Again, there are many ways that we've all been the older brother, and one of the temptations specifically at Zhao, I think, is related to social justice work. How many of us have been laboring in many and various ways for a different kind of world? How many of us have been laboring for a world in which queer children and trans children are celebrated by their parents in the church? How many of us are laboring for a world where black and brown people can walk the streets without fearing police? How many of us have been laboring for a world with open borders where nations don't get to dictate whose humanity matters and who gets to live with their parents? instead of in cages. When someone who has been a part of those harmful systems or who has been promoting systems of evil and oppression starts to waver a bit, starts to question, wants to come home, are we there to celebrate them with open arms? Or, are we in the field saying, where have you been? Now we may need time to grieve and we may need to hear their confession that by supporting abuse of immigrant families or by disowning their queer children or that by advocating for the domination of police forces has caused harm. We may need to hear them confess that the things that they did were wrong, that they see that now. We may need to express hurt at the ways that their behavior and action has broken relationship with us or with others we love. But are we ready to celebrate them? Can we see that they were in a place of death can we with compassion and joy say welcome back to the side of life? Welcome. This is where you belong. It's where you're from. It's your worth. It's who you are. You're a child of God. Welcome back to the side of the angels. Come along in the journey. It is hard labor, but we laugh and we sing and we weep together and we share simple meals. And in honor of your coming back, let's share a lavish meal. We are excited that you're here. Fam, 
When we veer and stumble, we need to let God throw a party for us to come home. And when our family stumbles, we want to be on that planning committee, that party committee of God's to welcome people home. We celebrate when we remember the ways that we have been welcomed back, even when we didn't feel like we were worth it. So let us be part of the team that reminds one another, you are worth so much more than the world has offered you. You are worth more sometimes than you've been behaving. Welcome back. Feel your worth. Remember the worth of others. Let us labor endlessly towards the kingdom of love where we can all be held in our true worth. Let's be those welcome back and on the welcoming committee. We're going to sing a song that I love. And it is about that feeling of joy at being scooped up by God's love. And I want to encourage you to try and remember that you have been scooped up, that every mistake you made isn't the first thing that uh, is on God's mind. The thing that's on God's mind is you're here and I love you. Remember that you are a part of this, that you are worth everything in the cosmos. Let's throw a party about it. You're home. And I want you to imagine what it would be like to be a part of reminding someone else, to be a part of making someone else feel that way. That when God's love welcomes someone home with a party, that you could be one of the people there shouting, surprise! That you could be a part of making someone else remember that they are not that hole of worthlessness that eats away at them at night, but they are a beloved, celebrated child of God. Will you pray with me? God, you lift us up from the depths. When we feel like we are at the bottom of the ocean, when we feel like the depths are coming for us, that we will never breathe openly again, you are there. And you lift us up and you welcome us home and you set us on the path. And the path is not easy but it is the path of life. God, please bring us back from the brink over and over again. Remind us of who we are. Let us remember so that we do not sell our inheritance, but that we know our worth and know that your love is for us always. And God, when we have gotten things right, when we are connected to you and others, when we feel proud of ourselves for the labor that we bring to the journey. May we get as excited as you are when others join us. May we be on that welcome committee. May we throw our arms open and offer the best of what we have to celebrate our brothers, sisters, and siblings who were lost and dying, but have found the path of life again. May we be reunited in your love. Amen.